Good afternoon, this is Gary Kavner here on TRSI. I'm here today with my friend and colleague Michael Dwyer. We join you in another glorious episode of that podcast you don't tell anyone you listen to. Michael, how are you? I'm very well, Gary. Thank you very much. So, I suppose we may as well get cracking. A couple of things have happened uh, with Leo, which we will touch on. But I think the very first thing I wanted to say, Michael, is uh, the Supreme Court... Story came out about the Supreme Court, which was actually, I think, quite irritating. I don't know if you saw this. It's about Seamus Wolfe. Yes. So the other boys and girls don't want to sit beside him in school, and they may have to send a note home to his mother. Yeah, it's been reported that uh, Seamus Wolfe, the former Attorney General who was involved in the Golfgate uh, thing, I wouldn't say scandal because that's building it up. Golfgate. Deserves to be. Uh, it's been reported in the Examiner that. Other Supreme Court judges went to him and said that some of his peers wouldn't be comfortable sitting with him on a case. Uh, Michael, I don't know your opinion on this, but uh, let me. Uh, my diplomatic view would be that those judges can go fuck themselves. Well, the first thing is if you if we take the phrasing, some judges went to him to say that some justices. I mean, does this not sound like? Shame is like I'm not saying it was me, but I was. I heard that Kira was told that Quiva was talking to Brian, and Brian said that he wouldn't sit beside you because you because he'd seen where you live, and he thinks that your family are poor. I mean, Jesus, these are the Supreme Court justices, and one went to the. And what business is it? Of are they are they afraid that whatever is it a month later, two months that he he might have caught the COVID and he's going to infect? What business? They're unhappy. Well, you know, deal with this. As my American friends used to say, suck it up. It's not the purview of Supreme Court judges to determine who sits on the Supreme Court. You don't need to like the people you're sitting with. You don't even need to think they're pleasant. You just do it. I mean, if the man had been... Uh, we could speculate about lots of things that he might have been discovered to have been doing that could give the, his, his brother and sister justices reason to feel horrified and uncomfortable. But, you know, he went to a golf dinner and he made an error of judgment, yes. But, I mean, really, is it a, was, it, was it a hanging event? No, it wasn't even a... If he had done something severe, I would merely say that the judges acted improperly. Because that could be considered by someone unkind as attempting to apply pressure to a judge, perhaps in order to get him to consider his position. And it would still be very wrong for them to do that if the matter was serious. However, the matter isn't serious. He went to a dinner. He played golf. Well, we think he probably played golf. Golf may have been involved. It was at least golf adjacent. Golf is racist as well. Also, judges should know the proper functioning of different parts of you know, the backdrop of Irish society. And they should also know that they don't get to determine who's on the Supreme Court. So maybe they should act like that. They don't get to pick the team. They just get to be bloody happy that they were one of the people picked beyond the team. So that people can say that they can tell their mummy and daddy, I'm a Supreme Court justice. Isn't that cool? And it is very cool. Now, I don't want to go too, I don't want to go too far on this because, let's face it, Gary, next time we're in front of the Supreme Court, we don't want to have any enemies there. I mean, it just, it just makes me think that the judges who are so unhappy about it that they had to go to one of their colleagues and tell him that they wouldn't be happy to sit on cases with them are probably unfit for the bench. 
And so I think it would be perfectly acceptable for Seamus Wolf to say on that basis, well, I'm not terribly happy to sit with you. I'll take my lunch elsewhere. I'm rubber and you're glue. Yeah, it's, it, it's all very grown up. No, I, my first reaction was, oh, God, aren't we having a little bit of a hissy fit? Also, why is this, I'm, just this is not a big thing, but why is this a story now? I would say because someone leaked it. And it's unlikely that Seamus Wolf would leak it. Mm. Because Seamus Wolf is desperately trying to stay out of the papers at the minute. I would say so. So that would make me think that it's likely a Supreme Court judge leaked it. Which, again, would seem to be behaviour unbefitting a judge and may, in fact, be worth investigating. If nothing else, we have seen the consequences of the, shall we say, the politicising or the... Of the of 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 courts in the United States, and what happens when courts become the object and the subject of the press and media speculation and interest? It's not really a great outcome for courts. We the world is better when we don't know the names of our judges. This one of the reasons why they wear wigs, so they all look the same. You put them in a wig, you put them in a gown, and you hope that when they send someone down for forty years, that he won't recognise them the next time they meet him. When they're having a cup of coffee in Beulah's, if such a thing existed. But now, it's just, I, it just feels like school kids. It's just adolescent. But maybe, maybe there are people on the court who are very, very concerned and very worried about COVID. And we all are and feel that this what thing that he did was a fundamental breach of faith with the people and like justice has to be Caesar's wife. In any society there are going to be people who have been kicked in the head by a horse. This is true. So, I mean, yes, there are probably people who think that. They're not right, though. And just, I don't know, it's like like I said, passing notes in gym class. Well, you wouldn't pass notes in gym class, but... Not unless it was on like a dodgeball. Yeah, maybe passing notes in home ec. But it is. It's just one of those funny stories. You think, well, why? Why is this in my newspaper? Why? Why are the Supreme Court justices doing this and behaving like this and sounding like this? It. It, it, it just feels. It's like seeing the. Uh, like, I imagine this is how a teacher feels when the actual good child in class gets involved in like eating glue, and you just <laughs> have to stand there going, "I'm not angry, but I am disappointed." You should know better than this. Always, always with more sorrow than anger. Yeah, the politicians do this. This is just what they do. They're over there just huffing glue. But you should have known better, Supreme Court judges, and you didn't. So maybe you should consider your position and temperament. I reiterate that I think we should... A certain amount of caution when dealing with the Supreme Court is advisable, however. If, if and when... Michael, you know, in a way you're agreeing with me because if you're saying that they may hold that against us should we ever go before the Supreme Court, you're saying you don't think they have a judicial temperament. So, I mean, who here is insulting the Supreme Court worse, Michael? You could I, say that. By openly saying these things in the trust of their judicial temperament and foresight, or you, like the snake in the grass? Well, it's the snake in the grass that I'm always worried about. It is the serpent in Eden that has produced what we are, men and women who are fallen creatures, and therefore should be always treated with a certain modicum of respect and concern. No matter how good anyone is, they're not all good all the way through. Anyway. Yes, we've we've wrapped the Supreme the unnamed Supreme Court justice across the knuckles 
Much like the Ballymean eagle kept Hitler in its sights. Well, I, or, or, I think we're talking, there's the Skibbereen eagle and the Tsar of Russia. Ah, yes. The Skibbereen eagle has its eye on you. So, from that, just a, a quick note. The uh, LGB Alliance has launched in Ireland. It has. We should, you should maybe explain to the, to the listener what the LGB Alliance is and whence it started. A vicious hate group full of transphobes. Well, that's one take. Uh, we, uh, uh, you, that's the independence take. You had, uh, I thought, a rather good interview with the, one of the founder members, did you not? She said eminently reasonable. That's the worst, though, isn't it? When they go on and they do this eminently reasonable thing. That's the, re- the, that's the dishonesty of them, the sneakiness of them, Gary. Yeah, they, they lead you on and then suddenly it's all hate and bigotry. I once saw, uh, once saw a night out, Michael. I saw a man who was a very good singer, and he'd gotten this crowd to sing along with him, and he was singing some, uh, like, some well-known ditty or something. Um, but the entire crowd was singing on, and then it turned out that this chap was a skinhead. So he changed some of the last lines of this song to The White Man Marches On, and by the time <laughs> anyone realised what had happened, <laughs> they were already singing it. <laughs> <laughs> it changed the words to the Battle of the Republic. Yeah, so they had already sang a couple of lines about the white race before you could just see the sort of what? <laughs> what did I say now? What, what, what? It's, yeah, it's like that. <laughs> they seem reasonable and then boom. <laughs> They're eating trans people or something. Yeah. Now, you may have noticed that they've launched because the uh, Independent has already launched a, a lovely attack on them. And uh, Pink News and this standard one, Gay GCN, Gay Community News, is it? Gay Community News, yeah. So what they are is, is basically a, a group for LGB people, for gay, lesbian, bisexual rights. It's kind of, a, it's, it breaks down on the quite obvious distinction that um, transgenderism is not a sexual orientation at all. No, it's... It's always a weird mixture. It's like, well, we need something for the tea, and the LGB groups were already there, so just slam it on in there. The um, oh, I don't know. the article in, in The Independent contains the line, I'll, Well, I'm here to inform you. Trans women are women. Trans men are men. They're not, though. Well, you know, I'm going to do something Gary hates here. I'm going to tell a story. Many, many years ago, I was at a nightclub, uh, an underground illicit thing run by anarcho-left squatter types in the, somewhere in the middle of Milan. It was tremendously popular and very well run. And a friend of mine had designed the computer program that ran the, the lighting system, which is why I was there. So he dropped off some uh, software to do it. Anyway, at the end of the night, uh, myself and my friend were sitting in the little courtyard outside on a stage where they used to put on these absolutely horrible agitprop plays. Oh God, it was relentlessly. It was like Bertolt Brecht, but like on Marxist steroids stuff. And we're sitting there, and there's this outside area where there's a there's a there's a there's a, there's a, a urinal, mm-hmm. um, and then a, then there was a a, a toilet with a door on it where people could. So we're sitting there, and I was at the end of this night. I was tired, shall we say? You know. I wasn't, my, my, my cognition, my perception was slightly altered by how tired I was. And the cocaine wearing off? No, 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 never did that kind of thing. No, no, it was just tired to scary. Maybe I, I might have had a gin and tonic. Anyway, 
this uh, this woman comes along and starts peeing in the urinal. It's one of those. It was you know, those. It wasn't even one of those sort of individual urinals. It was like a, a wall thing. And I was sitting there thinking, "Gosh, that must be really hard." And I sat there, and your time when you're very tired is is a funny kind of thing. How long you're actually contemplating this thing? It may be seconds, or it may be half an hour. And eventually, I went through all of the various difficulties presented by the fact that this woman was peeing in her urinal until I turned to my friend who had not been part of this cognition at all, this stream thought, but looked and said, I said, you know what, Luca? If she's peeing in a urinal, she's probably a man. And I'm always reminded of that in these conversations because when I, I, go, to, I go to Twitter and I see people say, in all seriousness, apparently, anyway, yes, some women have penises, but they're female penises. Oh, yes, the feminine penis. Yes, the feminine penis. And some men... Have vaginas but they're male vaginas some men menstruate and some men have babies give birth and my reaction to that is you know what if they're peeing in the urinal probably a man there are certain clues i believe packed into all of these things of what actually the man and i think that for example having a baby and lactating means you're a woman you might be a woman with a mustache but you're still a woman. So even though I have been told by this oracular source in the Irish Independent that she's here to tell me that I'm I'm still a little bit sceptical. Yeah, I think that, that's a, a fair scepticism. Just slightly more on what the LGBT alliance is. So it's lesbians, gay men, bisexuals. Um, largely just campaigning for rights for themselves. And generally putting forward ideas about biological sex that have become uh, recently terribly unpopular because of gender ideologies. So they make the, the very good point that a core part of sexual attraction depends on the biology of the person opposing them. So I think this came out of people... There was a trend of people telling lesbians that if they didn't find themselves attracted to transgender people, they were transphobes. Yes. Which went down rather poorly. Mm-hmm. Um, as I think most people would if someone went, well, this person is legally the gender you say you're attracted to and you're a transphobe if you don't find whatever we've done here attractive. So they tend to uh, argue against certain um, gender positions for same-sex spaces and then they also tend to talk about uh, gender ideologies being damaging to children. And they do have a little bit of a thing on uh, the transgender issue and the fact we're seeing so many uh, gay and lesbian children becoming transgender. And there was an argument there that parents were pushing children who may have been gay or may have been lesbians towards uh, becoming transgender because that was more socially acceptable than simply being uh, gay or lesbian. I think that's, that's about it. Yeah, I mean, in the context in Ireland, where this the issue is, it's slightly different in Ireland to other places, that we had the Gender Recognition Act. And to quote the article, what that did was it gave trans people over the age of eight the right to self-identify and legally be identified under their correct gender. And Ireland did not burn down. Now, that's a classic rhetorical trick of anybody who's involved in pushing a certain kind of social agenda. You set the bar of failure so high that... And when it doesn't happen, you think, well, nothing happened. It's perfectly all right. Ireland did not burn down. Therefore, this piece of legislation is perfectly fine. I just want to, first, the word hate is used to hear a lot. 
transphobes your hate is not welcome here well yeah that's and that's perfectly fine i don't see why a discussion or disputation about what that such a thing as biological sex exists implies that anybody should hate transgender people my understanding of the lgb group is that it doesn't deny the existence of, of transgender people it doesn't want anybody to hate them quite the contrary they want their dignity as human beings to be respected they want their rights to be respected they want them to be protected and cared for and given all the correct care and respect that any citizen any human being deserves I, and it would be very wrong reprehensible immoral whatever you want to, to, to hate somebody because they're transgender it would be absolutely a rotten thing to do but that isn't as I understand it, the aim of the LGB group here. It's about, as you say, for example, an issue that's very, very important to uh, to to some to women's groups and to to this group is the, the the preservation of what they call women only women only spaces like shelters, for example, for women who've been in 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 abusive relationships or hospitals, even sports places, sports clubs, whatever, but certainly places where pe women can feel safe, particularly women who who have historically had abusive experiences dealing with men. And I, I don't think that that's an unreasonable thing for women to want. I My sense is, Gary, that for men this isn't such a big issue. It is not such a trigger thing because there's a sense that if you have a woman who becomes a man, a transgender, a transgender who identifies as a man, that men don't feel threatened by that. There's this, they don't feel that there's a physical or a physical threat. There isn't the same. It isn't as problematic for men, and therefore men for men it's not that big an issue. But for women, it can be. It's it's it, it, it's it's rather different. There is the other issue, which is a wider issue about transgenderism and the nature of identities the the concern that we have seen and gary you quote you, you were talking to me recently about some of the figures you've seen i think from the united states regarding mental illness with uh, young women uh, in the last 10 15 years the increase in, in the rates of depression and we uh, and also i mean we've seen anxiety uh, disorders grow and there has been what appears to be what we call an explosion, and there has an explosion of what has been called sudden onset gender dysphoria, and there's a concern that this isn't being properly understood and properly treated, or rather, it's simply being affirmed, and it may be a manifestation of a, of a underlying social anxieties that occurs, and it's this is not, and simply affirming this and beginning a, a process of gender transition is not the appropriate way of caring for these girls. No, I mean it's it's. It's a bit of a mess, and you can kind of see, I was always curious about when groups like this would start to appear, because it did always seem to be a sort of unwieldy, just merging of two groups that don't really have a lot of common, and in fact are pretty antagonistic towards each other. It thinks works out, I mean, it's not even the case, necessarily, that within the transgender community there's unanimity on this issue either. There are plenty of prominent voices in the transgender community who say, I am a transgender man, I am a transgender woman, I am not a woman. And there's nothing, and they would rather make the point that there's nothing wrong with being a transgender woman. I don't have to be a woman to deserve the rights and dignities that I should get as a human being. That I can identify as a transgender woman without having to insist on being a woman to get a, to get extra to get extra rights or extra dignity, extra protection. No, and I mean one thing I, I did note when I was talking to uh, 
Bev, one of the founding members of the LGB Alliance. I'll include a link to the um, to that interview with the in the below this one, just in case people are interested. Is they're talking about homosexuals as, as a sexual orientation towards people of the same sex. Yeah. Not same gender. But when you talk to these people, particularly the um, the lesbians I've talked to, they tend to think that gender roles are quite limiting. And to them, transgenderism is not freedom from those gender roles. It's it's a strengthening of those gender roles. Because now if gender is performative and socially constructed, well then actions have to be strongly gendered because you have to be able to present yourself as a particular gender. And that to them is limiting in that you can no longer be, you know, a tomboyish girl. Absolutely. Or a yeah. man. Yes, yes. Presenting as a woman or presenting as a man. Yes. Um, although I do, I, I was thinking about this there, and I think one of the reasons the transgender activists have to be so aggressive on this is because if they're right and gender is a social construct, I don't mm-hmm. believe they are in the way, I don't think gender, I think gender is an interesting sociological concept, mm-hmm. doesn't actually work in the way it's being applied now, but if they, assuming they are correct, well then they need society to agree with that. Because even if they're right, it's socially constructed. If, social, if society decides, well, no, it's it's not done the way you think and gender cannot be changed like that, well, then by their own logic, that is the truth of it. So I think they have to be so aggressive because they can't have society disagree with them. I mean, one of the, you, you mentioned this, the notion of gender as the performative rather than biological, uh, connected to biological sex. And I think one of the really un- rather odd things about this is this, it feels at times deeply re- regressive mm. where you have and there's we have there's there are many reports of this where particularly not where younger let's say young teenage girls and boys who don't feel comfortable in their bodies which is an absolutely normal and classic manifestation for uh, in adolescence for people not to feel comfortable in their bodies but also don't match into the gender st- the, 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 the the gender stereotypes of their particular of their of their biological sex thinking well maybe because i do things that boys like and i i like to dress like boys and i do things like boys classic tomboy behavior maybe what that actually means is i'm a I'm, i am actually a boy or same if you have a, a, a boy who who behave who is a feminist or a feminine in, in his attitudes and he maybe dresses in a certain way or behaves in a certain thing i'm actually maybe i'm a girl where we had spent, it seems to me, the last 30 or 40 years trying to get to the point where you could say, listen, you don't have to behave. Like, most, maybe it's true, most boys are like this, and most girls are like this, but there are lots of boys and girls who are not like that, and it's perfectly okay not to be like that. I think the, I think one thing they are probably right on is this. When people look at the difference between men and women, there's a lot of talk about, like, strength and height and things like that. Yeah. But the one that people actually tend to forget is that one of the things most strongly keyed to sex is attraction. The overwhelming majority of men are only attracted to women. And yes. the overwhelming majority of women are only attracted to men. True. Now, if that behaviour becomes gendered... Well, do you remember there was a documentary there a while ago uh, 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 dealing with uh, in the, people in the United States who, were, who had... Who had decided their children at a very early young age had decided that they were misgendered, and they affirmed this choice. And one father said something to the effect of, "It's great to see my daughter. Was it 
my daughter running and being happy rather than to see my son mincing along or something like the language, something like that. Quite horrific. Because it seemed to be plain that in this particular case, the, the implication seemed to be that this person was happier having fixed their child so that they now had a normal little girl rather than an abnormal little boy. And that, that would be concerning to me. I think that does the basically what I was saying that yeah if if those if those behaviors become gendered and they are very much linked to sex well then yeah you can argue that homosexuality doesn't really make sense in that framework well yeah at all <laughs> but also the fact that if if behaviors are masculine or feminine then it kind of suggests that there is somewhat of a spectrum of masculinity or femininity in that there is someone who's incredibly masculine and someone who's incredibly feminine. And other mm. people are literally less men or women than them. Yeah, it's, it's, it's some, they're, they're somewhere on this famous spectrum. I, I, listen, I, I, the, the internal coherence of any of these ideas, because if it's... There's it, it a weird thing. We're told that, that everything is socially constructed. And yet, at the same time, we hit this kind of biological thing where... I was where you hear people say, "Ah, well, what actually happens in the case of somebody who's transgender is that they have a, uh, you might have somebody born with a male brain in a female body." You come to this kind of radical biological essentialism when you're dealing with people who are transgender. Everybody else is socially constructed, but transgender people, it's actually a biological man. This is as they are, it's a performative manifestation of of a biological truth. So if it if everything is constructed, well, then, then I don't ultimately see how any of this makes sense. But listen. I, I still think, I go back to the point that we have, the, if an individual decides that they want to live their life performatively in, in, the, in a gender other than the sex, the, the, their biological sex, and if that makes them happy, well then fire away. That, that's grand, you should be allowed to do that. And people should respect that those choices and they should be allowed to express themselves and to be happy and to be and have the dignity and the respect that any citizen and any human being can expect but that's not it seems to me the point of this it seems to be rather deeper but there you go we have been told uh, we'll keep an eye on this anyway we might see if we can bring in the people behind it for an interview yeah um, the reaction so far has been one thing I've noticed about the reaction so far is people just attacking them for being British because the uh, the LGB alliance was British, mm. and now there is just a sort of get out of here, you foreigners. It's a wonderful, wonderful outpouring of xenophobia, Michael, which I can only wish we see more of in Ireland. Absolute. No, there's nothing it... quite like progressive xenophobia. Like, um, do you remember during the abortion referendum? Yeah. When it came out that it was likely that a lot of the Polish people here would vote against abortion because they tend to be more Catholic. Yes. And I've never seen people so so anti-border, so we are one, let us all bask in the soft light of humanity, move to raging xenophobia so quickly. It was it was absolutely beautiful, Michael. Well, it, I thought it was even more fun when there was an, a coalition of black churches in Dublin that came out and, start, and made a statement. And the sense of, whoa, God, I don't like, what, what do I, how do I... This is wrong. These 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 people, these undeveloped people, these backward people. But how can I say this? How can I? I don't know. It was terribly frustrating for people in that. Listen, left wing Venice. Look at the Brexit discussion. 
There's so much. The black church thing was fantastic because some of the comments on it, I mean, most people just wisely said nothing, but some of the people who started making comments and had like backward views, you know, these people need to realize how much we've helped them. And you're like, oh, you are just, <laughs> you are verging into saying something deeply racist and it's going to be fabulous when you do. I, I was talking to a friend of mine recently. I don't think we, I, I maybe mentioned it to you. But my childhood, when you seem to be full of certain things in movies and, and shorts, so movies and a little uh, series on TV. And one of the things was there was always this huge amount of quicksand. Every other thing, this, there was a rattlesnake and quicksand in half the st- things on TV. And watching these people, it was a little bit like watching somebody trying to tip, trying to walk very quickly across quicksand, aware that where they put their foot was potentially very dangerous. But in the end of the, at, at, by the end of the whole process, everybody had sunk into the sand because it was inevitable. You weren't going to be able to negotiate that without coming out and sounding like some kind of old fashioned. These people, you know, the white man, we have taken up the white man's burden and now this is how you repay us. Well, this I mean, it does of... help that a lot of these people are legitimately racist. I was, but I was saying, look at the commentary we saw on Brexit. Exactly the same people that up for the last God knows how long have been talking about the necessity for us to grow up and be mature about our relationship with the United Kingdom and abandon our petty nationalist xenophobic bigotry suddenly became the most explicit what would you call the anglophobes it was just pure old fine bloody english bloody brits little englishers well absolutely there was no bones no sophistication no nuance about it all that but just good old-fashioned english bashing the kind that you wouldn't have seen in the irish press 40 years ago but uh, in the irish times suddenly it became blessed and converted into contemporary li- liberal commentary we live in wonderful times that these things are possible. I I simply look forward to it all. Indeed. So I before obviously before we go into Leo's thing, Macron. Yes. Macron, a incredibly unlikely defender of Western values. We, we mentioned the last time, and things have been he's doubled down on it. So as, as somebody, some commentator on Twitter said, "We live in a very strange world, isn't it? Where it's suddenly the leader of the free world is Emmanuel Macron." I will say before we we talk about Macron, because Macron gave a very very strong, I think, response uh, on the decapitation issues we talked about last time. Yes. Did you see Justin Trudeau's comment on it? I did, and I thought that it was utterly predictable in a way, but that he actually came out and said it as explicitly and unnuanced as he did, I thought was bizarre. I mean, in a in a country with a strong French tradition, shall we say, also, mm. and he himself presumably, I think it's the Trudeaus are Quebecois, uh, in their ancestry, it was, it was basically you know, it's, free speech is all very well, but you can't go around defending people. Yeah, so I'll, I'll just for the listener, I'll give the quote. It says uh, it's the attacks were unjustifiable. Canada wholeheartedly condemns these acts while standing with our French friends who are going through extremely difficult times. We will always defend freedom of expression, but. but freedom of expression is not without limits. We owe it to ourselves to act with respect for others and to seek not to arbitrarily or unnecessarily injure those with whom we are sharing a society and a planet. 
We do not have the right, for example, to show fire in a movie theatre crowded with people. There are always limits. Now, there's a couple of things about that statement. One that um, I do want to touch on. The line about shouting fire in a movie theatre. Very our, popular line to certify our, the... Um, our old friend. Theater. It's our old friend Oliver Weldon Holmes, isn't it? Weldon Holmes. Now, that comes from a, a Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes' opinion in the United States Supreme Court. It was um, Schenck, Schneck, Schneck, the United States. It was early 20th century. And what was happening is it, it was what he said when he basically said that the, uh, the defendant had acted inappropriately. Now, what the defendant had done in this case was they had handed out pamphlets which expressed opposition to the draft during World War I. And Holmes was explaining that that was not free speech because you couldn't show fire in a crowded theatre. And that's always the problem with metaphors, Michael, isn't it? Mm. You say it and then people go, oh, okay, I suppose that's fine. He goes, well, you spoke against the draft. Time to go to jail. Yeah. And you sort of go, what? Like, well, same principle. So it's, it's a very common line that I don't think most people uh, realise exactly what's happening. Now, the other thing I thought was interesting is when he says it's we owe it to ourselves uh, not to unnecessarily injure those with whom we are sharing a society and a planet. Mm. Now, I'd say this is largely nonsense. The appropriate response to the killings in France is the republication of the picture. And I would say, in general, there is nothing wrong with avoiding offending people's moral or religious sensibilities. But if someone is willing to kill someone over an image, the correct response is to repost that image. I might, we might also comment in passing that Justin Trudeau has, seen, has seemed perfectly willing to be offensive uh, to the sensibilities of some groups in Canada and around the world. But I think there are groups that for quite some time have taken a let's not kill people attitude when criticised. They have gone beyond that now. You could, Gary, you might lament the changes in Christianity's attitudes towards taking a robust position on people criticising it, but it is what it is. Is this really the, the appropriate time to point out we should be nice to each other when people are beheading people for not being nice to each other? Yeah, <laughs> for not Perhaps being nice to each other. we might yeah. focus on the beheadings first. Yeah, as opposed to... Well, it, as we t- we said the time with the for- on the first case after which was the directly connected to the uh, the cartoons of the prophet it was a Charlie Hebdo wasn't it it was a Charlie Hebdo or was it the Danish cartoon it was Charlie Hebdo and it was in a ca- in a class discussion on freedom of expression and the teacher uh, referenced and you produced these cartoons and as a consequence of that now the most recent case um I don't know if it's is it could we say it's directly connected to the cartoons or is it simply just an attack on infidels because the three people that were murdered in Nice were murdered you have to say it's at least in part because they were going to church they were they were going to first mass in in the cathedral in Nice then none of them to, to our knowledge were involved in any kind of radical attempt to defame the prophet or to publish images of the prophet they were just going to mass and for the for that, they were killed. You could argue that it connected because the the publication of the photos and Macron's original 
response to them, which is very pro-free speech, caused a significant backlash, particularly in Iran and Pakistan. And then they started in those countries talking quite a lot uh, about effectively how evil France was. So they killed a Brazilian woman with mother of two. Well, I mean, you know, you go into the church, you've got your knives, that's all you've got on hand. There happens to be a Brazilian lady there, yeah, well, Brazilians, French, black, white, you know, at the end of the day, it's all much the same, isn't it? They're all Christians. So therefore, they're all equally complicit in this, I suppose. Macron's statement was... His original statement was quite strong. The new statement is, um, is pretty excellent, actually. It is very good. I think there was a couple. Co- co- it's very cut and dry. I mean, it's not that I wouldn't. I, I don't want to say there's no nuance in it because that sounds like a criticism. But rather, there's a, there's a clarity in it. Uh, there are a couple of things that I thought were were, were interesting. Well, I should say the, the the statement was 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 a good statement. But first of all, he says listen, what you can do in France is one thing. When you're in your own home, your own place, you can do what you like. That's fine. I'm not interested. There was a sort of a rejection of the idea that he's going. Anybody in the West is going to go around imposing their values. No, but in the in the the version of the interview I saw in this when the the subtitles rather than a voiceover, he said they, he said the, he, he referred the subtitles said not, these are not our values. When he was talking about the, he, he, the image he kept using was the idea of a little boy and a little girl. You know that a little girl. Well, had less value than a little boy. A little, a little, a little girl would not have the same rights as a little boy. Uh, a little girl could not pursue the, pursue the same education, whatever, have the same ambitions as a little boy. And they said, these are not our values. That was the translation. But actually, the French, it says, pas chez nous. And you know that phrase in French, like, where are you? Chez moi means my house, my home. Where are you? Je suis chez moi. I'm at home. And I thought that was, in a sense, more powerful because it's less abstract. It's not in our house, not in our home, chez nous. And this, I thought it was very effective and, and, and powerful. The Republic, he referenced the Republic, his belief in the Enlightenment, and this is and what it is. And he, he was careful to distinguish that this should not be seen as an attack on Muslims or French Muslims, but on those people who want to instrumentalise a religion, indeed any religion, in order to do these things. Right. He but, did say that Islam is a religion that is in crisis all over the world today. Yeah, which was rather a brave thing to say. I mean, brave, controversial, you know. One of the other things that Trudeau said, and I think it's one of those sentences which sounds perfectly fine until you consider it in the context of decapitations and attacks which are explicitly religious in nature, and which harken back to the mass killing of journalists. And he said, In a pluralistic, diverse, and respectful society like ours, we owe it to ourselves to be aware of the impact of our words, of our actions on others, particularly those communities and populations who still experience a great deal of discrimination. Which is a lovely sentence, as long as it's not contextualised in any way. And if it is... I don't think it makes Trudeau look terribly good. I'd also say that if if you take that kind of language, that's the kind of language that very often is used in the discourse about racism. And I know that people like Professor Glenn Lowry and Thomas Sowell, when talk, talking about this in the context of the United States, would say this is an attitude which is fundamental, which is actually a, a form of infantilization of this other group. To say, well, you know, they 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 get a lot of discrimination. 
so they react like this but the implication is that this is they're the kind of people that haven't quite evolved to where we are so that their reactions are not going to be the kind of reactions that we would expect of ourselves there's a fundamentally patronizing infantilizing core to the notion that we have to treat other groups differently because you know they're not quite where we are they're not going to because it's a complicated thing working out that you shouldn't cut somebody's head off because they're going to they're going to go they're going to mass in the morning that's a tricky moral concept not everybody's there gary not everybody understands that i just feel you know you should at least sweep the bodies out of the way before you start talking about how we've got to be careful about what we say macron is a funny one though i mean he this is not the first time that Macron has, I think, surprised people. He's an, I think he's very French, and therefore, and, and a very much a product of French politics. And I think we have trouble getting our heads around the way France works and French politics is. So he looks like one thing one moment, like it's classic sort of left to centre, social democrat, liberal. And then the other time he said, hold on, that sounds like de Gaulle. Yeah, I think we, the French are very... French, basically. Yeah, um, funny. It's funny that. Yeah, but they are one of the few European countries that has an incredibly distinct culture to them, which is very similar to the rest of the West, but actually different on a number of issues. I think the the thing that really kind of brought it home to people, or should have, not recently, but within the last kind of decade or so, was um, when Hollande was elected, the first time he had to deal with a foreign issue. And everyone was like, oh, this lovely left-wing socialist. And he's, you know, it's all going to be lovely and he's going to bring them to the table. And I was like, no, he's French. This, this is only going one way. And then, yeah, French Foreign Legion comes down like a hammer. And this is, you're right, this is, this is a French tradition back long, long time ago. People won't remember. When the Falkland Islands was invaded by the Argentinians, and there was a lot of hoo-ha and comings and toings going comings and goings amongst uh, politicians in Europe and how they would react to the invasion and how they would react then to Thatcher's decision to send the task force to take the islands back. But Francois Mitterrand, who the, so the socialist president of France, absolutely straight out of the gates, no, this is an attack on the, the, this is attack on the sovereignty of the United Kingdom. We absolutely, absolutely supported them. In a way, I think they really surprised people. Uh, uh, Mitterrand and Reagan were the two, uh, the the two m most forceful and uh, and quickest out of the gate to support Thatcher. But that's part of, that's that odd French thing of what well, sovereignty, national sovereignty, is important to them. But you know, you say about the difference. There were several articles that was I saw uh, on this were talking about the French were rather puzzled. They said that the reaction in the Anglo-Sac, what they call the Anglo-Saxon press. It was very different to the press in the rest of the world, and certainly, shall we say, in the rest of Europe. And the French were rather annoyed. They felt that so much of this was the discourse in the in, in the Anglo-Saxon press, the English-speaking press, was immediately about the French colonial past and French imperialism and French involvement in all sorts of bad stuff in Asia and in in Africa. And in fact, Mitterrand, I think, I don't know if it was, I saw a quote from Mitterrand, or not Mitterrand, sorry, Macron, in this, I don't know if it was the same interview, where he said, he talked about this importation of an American multiculturalism. 
and he was explicitly saying that this kind of American multiculturalism does not fly in France. This is this is not where we are. This is not what we're doing. But they find the the attitudes that you see in the French in the in the, American, the English some of the English papers, some of the English papers anyway, the, certainly the American press, a little bit baffling. They don't they don't see why are you not just simply first of all saying we stand with France at this moment and second and point number two. We stand with Enlightenment values and free speech. They didn't. Why are you going on to this historical excavation? That requires an actual sense of moral courage. I mean, I don't know if you've. We haven't really seen it reported uh, outside France, but there have been significant protests against Macron. I mean, tens of thousands of people in well, the Islamic world. Did you see the um, the magazine cover of him as Satan? Yes, I did. That's quite I, good. Uh, yeah. Someone got the art uh, department involved in that one. But all over, all over the world, there are calls for the boycotting of French goods, uh, breaking off trade relations, breaking off diplomatic relations. A lot of hostility to France on this. Uh, you know, you might say, well, is that, is, is that the, the reaction you would have expected to these acts? Um, words versus deeds, you know. Maybe there is a hierarchy here that you should first consider the, that what was done rather than what then people said and take the what was done rather more seriously. I did also like it when he was asked, Macron was asked recently, would he denounce the uh, caricatures? Whatever about saying the violence shouldn't happen, but would he renounce that? And he just said no. And then he said that instead they would fight Islamic separatism and since that point, the uh, French government has gone on a uh, bit of a whirlwind tour, Michael. Bit of a jihad, you might say. I mean, you might say. I couldn't possibly. <laughs> but they have been raiding Islamic associations and groups across the country and just packing people up to be deported. Closing down mosques, at least certainly one mosque. My understanding is that a lot of the, the, the mosques in France, the... Um, are they paid by the French state? I don't know. I think know. I, 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 which would seem, you'd I say, you might do say. They, do they have the see, German system? The German certainly. The German, well, of course, that's the German system because you have the, the. There is a certain amount of French funding goes into 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 some of the mosques and going back. I think was part of the the accommodation and also the the French way of, of trying to guarantee a certain amount of control over them. But yeah, but the. the Maybe not as direct as the Germans, but I think there is some, which is odd in France, which it's this very deep separation of church and state. Although I suppose historically, the separation of church and state in, in France only meant one, there was one state and there was one church. Although there is a significant, uh, well, culturally important Protestant tradition in France, of course. People like uh, Sartre, I think Jean-Paul Sartre was uh, a Huguenot. He was from Massif. Santa that family. So uh, there is a Protestant tradition in France, of course, and a Jewish. Historically, I mean, the, the, Europe's largest Jewish community is in France, as going back to the time of Dreyfus, an important cultural presence. Anyway, Macron has surprised. Well, I don't know if he surprised us all, but he certainly he surprised some people and alienated some people and reassured others that if he could do it, maybe other people can do it. Yeah, that'll be interesting to follow and to see what happens with that. Now, just a, a quick note. Um, American elections Tuesday. Yes, I believe New so. Polls. This is going to be these are the last waves of polls. Yeah. Trump now there will basically be nothing between now and Tuesday. And Trump is now uh, up seven points in Iowa, 
which is, um, I think, exactly the same margin from 2016. And Iowa is a bit of a bellwether in yeah. these things. <clears throat> Iowa, it, it, seven points is exactly what he was in the la- and in the in the same. In the in in the by the same polling company as well, which is maybe important, he was exactly seven points ahead. Now, the the other the reason why this might be interesting is also the fact that one of the things that started that a lot of people have been talking about in the last couple of American general elections is that one of the things you have to look at within American voting patterns is regionality, rather than looking at the national picture. So Iowa is part of that kind of Midwest. So you've got Iowa. Iowa, Idaho, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, uh, Michigan, it's part of that bit. Iowa's more rural than that. Iowa's the home of the corn growers and all that, but it's 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 part of that region. So if Iowa is going that direction, then maybe that bit of the Midwest will go also. The same way the southeast, southwest, northwest, prairies, you know, the rocky states and so on. So that if this is indicative if this is right, then it seems to be unlikely that Trump is in fact nine, ten, eleven points behind Biden in places like, say, Wisconsin, Michigan, or Pennsylvania. So I suppose that's some sucker to the to the Trumps. I mean, their hope that the the Hunter Biden story might have leaked out sufficiently into the wider press to help the things along seems to have been disappointed. It's been reported in the Daily Mail, but not very many other other places. And it's a tremendous story. I don't know if we want to talk about it much because it's all a bit, it's not very serious, but you might provide a link or something because the story is worth reading. Some of the details of what Hunter has been up to are really quite... I mean, a man who can max a platinum credit card on live sex, call, sex calls is... Uh, $21,000 on mm. live, live cam... Crashes do wonders for the libido. <laughs> well, it certainly must disinhibit your spending. I, 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 I like that can't like Viagra cannot do that. No, that's too much, too fast. As I said, twenty one thousand dollars on live cam sex shows. Twenty one thousand dollars. So it's it's all very salacious and all very fun, and now it's been, to the extent possible, uh, validated by security experts but the question still remains about exactly what uh, what joe biden knew and whether or not there was anything there and that if he becomes president could become a wonderful stick to beat him with yeah he is joe is also the man who said that hunter was the brightest guy he knew well he maybe doesn't get out much i mean he's not dead yet <laughs> Anyway, um, like, I, I, with that kind of crack addiction, spending $21,000 a month on live sex shows, that does not strike me as a man who's living a healthy life. You'd have to say that you know, the, he, he might be better off just switching to sparkling water. and uh, maybe doesn't the, have the same kick. Probably not. But maybe he hasn't tried San Pellegrino. San Pellegrino is the one. Again, there are other waters available. And we should have to say that. No, I just don't. I, I feel crack is just a bit more Moorish. <laughs> a bit like heroin. So, finally, the village. There's trouble yes, in the village. Yes, finally, Michael. finally, finally. Leo may be in a spot of bother. Or the village magazine might be in a spot of bother. Someone is in a spot of bother. Yeah. I don't know. It, it, I'm finding it hard to get excited about the, the story. But maybe, well, maybe I, ev- events will prove me wrong. 
So the, the basic gist of the story is that the village alleges using materials they somehow got a hold of that uh, Leo improperly gave one of the GP unions a contract while that contract was being negotiated with one of the other GP unions and that he did this because it was his friend involved in it. And then there's allegations of corruption and uh, breaches of the act. Now this is a very important point because their their story is, I believe, titled Leo the Lawbreaker. Or Lawless Leo or something like that. No, I think, I think it's explicitly Leo the Lawbreaker. <laughs> okay. Which is to say that if Leo didn't break a law, even on a technical basis, the village would kind of seem to be fucked. That would look fairly... As the Tonisha has said himself, defamatory. I mean, you call him a lawbreaker and he's not a lawbreaker. Well, then that's I, pretty well. It's a kind of a binary thing, isn't it? Yeah. He, he, he broke the law or he didn't break the law. Maybe, well, maybe it's not. So this story is quite technical, I suppose. Leo has come out and said that he did pass over the document but that he didn't do so improperly. He absolutely didn't break any laws doing so. And that he pa- when he passed over the document, it had already effectively been signed off on. And the other GP's union had reported the main points of it in a press release. And he sent it on to this guy, hoping to get the other GP union to come on board with it. So all of the GP's would agree to this new contract. Yes. He did accept that. Or he sent it on this way because he knew the guy, and maybe that was improper. But, he said, <coughs> this also happened when he was Thishok. Yes. So, it's a, it's a bit of an odd one for it. I I suspect you're right in that the public don't really care that much about this. Uh, Martin has said he thinks it's improper and that you know, a full explanation is required. But, to be honest, uh, Michael, Michael Martin can think whatever the fuck he wants. Because he's not getting rid of Leo. Uh, Mm, yeah, he, I can't see. I can't, I can't see quite how he would. Just, I mean, he'd love uh, to get rid of Leo. Like part of the story is about the the rules regarding lobbying, and I really don't know if you're going to be able to get general public sufficiently engaged to care about whether or not the guy from the the the, the GP from the the other group, which is the NAGP, which is like the smaller version of the IMO whether he was a lobbyist and if he wasn't registered as a lobbyist, did he, did he engage in Also, I don't think that Leo can be a lobbyist. I don't, he's a, he's a TD. His job is, in a sense, as an advocate as a lobbyist. I don't think that those, I, I can't see how those, the same rules would apply I, to a, I, me- a member of the DAW. It does, I can, make I can us... see, do you remember there was a while ago there was some allegations about Trump saying that he had, um, he had breached some of the state secret acts because he had given that information. And the response basically was that as president, it was absolutely at Trump's purview what information is authorized to be released. Yes. So Trump cannot break those acts because any president, by virtue of their position, determines what can be released. And I would suspect that if there is any issue, the fact that Leo was Taoiseach when he gave out the information, meant that he can't leak anything. Yeah, the, one of the accusations was that he had broken the Official Secrets Act. Now, 
most of the time when you hear about this kind of stuff, it, these stories are, it's not quite, it's not in Ireland, but it's in Britain and it's involving spies and the Russians and American missiles and breaking the official secrets act. And then it's interesting and people will pay attention. And if Leo has been caught for it, I can't imagine what kind of secrets we have in Ireland that would be sufficiently interesting to, to engage the public. But maybe if we discovered that he had sold Arlene Foster, all of the details regarding the plans to defend the border in the case of the North invading is, well, that might be fun. So uh, the Official Secrets Act is, yeah, it rarely comes up in Ireland because we don't give a shit uh, for the most part. You can just leap we away. We don't have secrets. But I think the the part the village is referring to is uh, part 241. A person mm. shall not communicate any official information to any other person unless he is duly authorised to do so or does so in the course of and in accordance with his duties as the holder of a public office or when it is his duty in the interest of the state to communicate it. Which offers, to my reading... At least at three. Least three ways for you yeah. to say that was perfectly legal. Yeah. And... I can see this going pretty badly for the village. I also have some doubts about the material they have. Yeah. There are a couple of the screenshots they have are odd. Like there's one where um uh the doctor it's Mahi Otuto is the doctor who is who is alleged to have received material from yes. Leo. And there's one of those where he gives out his home address and they've redacted different information on their social media and their online version, and I think in the print version. So you can actually put together his address. Yeah. Uh, which is an amateur mistake to make. And not to point, you know, not to be petty here, but the village story has a number of typos and just miswritten sentences. Even the statement they released in response to Leo's initial statement on this uh, contains numerous errors. Which, you know, just maybe don't do that when you're about to engage in a... Uh, I, oh, I, I don't know if you, if you noticed, but one of the things I thought odd, my understanding was that he was supposed to be in Klonski, but it says Klonski Dublin 8. Now, Dublin 8 is one of those funny postal districts. Well, first of all, Klonski is not Dublin 8. I think it's Dublin 14. Dublin 8 is the, one of, it's the only of the postal districts that crosses the Liffey because bits of the Phoenix Park are in Dublin 8 where there are most of it's Now, bits of it are, I mean, Portobello, I think, is Dublin 8, which is very nice. Kilmainham is on the way up, but it's definitely not Clonsky. No, it's not. I'm not sure if Portobello is, uh, is Dublin 8, I think it's... Okay. Portobello, South Circular, Kilmainham. Yeah, so he, uh, I, I pulled O'Toole's uh, address. His full address. So I could check this. He doesn't live in Dublin. He lives in Dublin 14, which is exactly where Klonoski is. So I went, okay, maybe he's near the boundary. And maybe there is some prestige assorted to Dublin 8 that I don't know about. So I went and checked. Um, the boundaries are nowhere near each other. And also Dublin 8 contains such wonderful areas as Inchicore and Dolphin's Barn. Both of which are... Uh, Inchicore I spent a, a deal of time in is actually very nice. But doesn't have any social prestige. There's no reason for a professional to give a slightly improper address for it. Also, one would expect when receiving uh, secret and sensitive state data, you probably want to give the accurate address. As well as that, when you look at the 
some of the text messages that they put out on social and on the piece, they've redacted them differently for some reason. And the uh, you can because they haven't done it perfectly, you can tell how long the sentence is and the sentence lengths are different. It's just odd. Some also, of this are... that would have had to come from Otuto. No, I, 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 I only saw some of this, and I wasn't following that closely. The last bit of it was: were there WhatsApp messages included in this? There were some WhatsApp. There were some what looks like iMessager. Who who was involved? Because one in some of the messaging I saw, obviously on one side it was O'Toole, but the other side was: is that the source of this? That appears to be the source of this, although. There are some that seem to come from O'Toole um, and Leo, but it's odd because they're the ones that appear to be different lengths. Uh, and the only way I could see you having them is if O'Toole sent a screenshot of them to the source. But then if he sent a screenshot, why are they different? Yeah, I, I saw one which was talking about, I think it was a, a response to O'Toole or, 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 or a conversation with the tool anyway, where he they were discussing having lunch on Friday, and he said he couldn't have lunch; he was going to be in it. And there was a reference to the fact quote, that Leo didn't give a fuck about refugees, and Flanagan was going to have to do it himself. And that seems to have agitated a certain amount of comment. That does, although I've heard some people saying that while the date stamp on that is correct, that the story they're referring to didn't come out until several hours after the time stamp on it. Now, that, there may be an explanation for that, but again, do you know the worst kind of lie is, Michael, if you're involved in journalistic practice? Well, when you get caught at. Well, yes, that is absolutely the worst. But the second worst is the one that has enough truth in it that you verify it, or you verify as much as you can and everything checks out. So, this involves a source, clearly. If it was a source who knew that the uh, NAGP had been passed the document but wanted to slightly sweeten the pot by directly linking Leo in a way that perhaps yeah. could not be done. Yes, yes. A manner that couldn't be done. Mm. And therefore, perhaps... Yeah, that would hang the village. That would hang most people. Yeah, because it, you have the story, but you don't feel... You, you want to... You gild the lily. You go that little bit farther to make it that... Slight that more, a little bit more interesting, a little bit juicier, and you end up telling porcupines, and that's what does you in. Yeah, and I mean, this, as I said, everything here could be accurate, but from what's published, I don't think there's here enough to prove anything. And there are some weird discrepancies with some of the stuff that's up. And so I wouldn't be surprised if this is something that is nearly true, but has just taken that one or two step further just to because that's what they think is true. And if that is the case, it's never a good look for a politician to sue a media outlet. No. But if they're openly alleging about breaking laws, and they can't back that up, it will not be difficult for him to go there. And they're goading him to sue him. Yeah, I mean, you saw the, you saw the, the statement, I'm sure, where they, they said they stand by every single allegation, and without exception, and without without uh, qualification that they're oh. absolutely now you would perhaps you, you, your response to that well they would say that wouldn't they I mean what else are they going to do with this well they, what they could do if they were genuinely scared of a def defamation is they could actually start being mealy mouths because 
in the case of uh, this going to court, that would mitigate the damages. The statement they've made, it seems to me, will only amplify potential damages. Yeah, I think there, there is. They put up a tweet that said, uh, it's been a long day. Let's hope Leo sues us for defamation on Monday. Mm. His case would be, let's be fair, almost unstatable. Yeah, I don't And I'm just going to say, that. Leo Lawbreaker was on their front page. Yeah. And then it said, transfer of confidential IMO contracts to rival organizations run by his mate breaches official secrets act and maybe crime under corruption act, which maybe crime is a hedging that you don't want to do if you've just said that he's broken the law. Also, I'm not sure he's broken the official secrets act. I would suspect due to his position, it would be very difficult for him to have broken the official secrets act. I tell you one thing that did slightly uh, on a sidelight to the story that I thought was uh, interesting, not surprising, but a little bit funny was I talking to a couple of blue shirts about this, and I could distinct there was a, a distinct sense uh, with a couple of them of nerves. And I said, "You're not worried about this, are you?" I said, "No, but you never know what, what would happen to us if Leo was gone." And I think that for what it has shown is that there is a sense within Finnegal that you know they're up 34, 35, 37 points in various opinion polls, but there is a belief that a hell of a lot of that is absolutely nailed to Leo Varadkar. And should Leo go, and I said, oh, should Leo goes, should Simon Coveney step in? And the response I got was, exactly. Hmm. And it, was, it wasn't this tone of happy soldiers. Uh, oh, well, yes, yeah, I'm, that could be great. <laughs> oh, my God, we're back at 21 and, and, ho- and hope it sticks there. No, I mean, obviously, Michal Martin and Eamon Ryan both want uh, Vradker to be gone because Vradker gone will both remove a very popular person at this point from Fine Gael. And also, I would strongly suspect that they think most of those leaks from Cabinet are coming from Leo. <laughs> Yeah, I think that everybody, everybody, in the, everybody and their mother thinks that at this stage. I mean, I said, I said, I said to you before, oh God, weeks ago, that the thing that I watch watching Leo is just it is actually it is a wonderful comedy. I, he has never seemed so relaxed or as ease with himself since he became the leader of the opposition, and he was genuinely this game he's been playing, whereas he jumps. Leader of the opposition, tarnished a leader of the opposition, tarnished a leader of the... And he's doing it flawlessly. It's like, it's like the Lord of the Dance at the moment. His footwork has been really very good. And he has dragged them up to 37%. Fianna Fáil are in, in government, Taoiseach Fianna Fáil, and they're, they're on 11%, up one point on the last opinion poll, up to 11%. He's been doing a magnificent job on it, but he is not behaving, shall we say, in what you could call a collegial fashion with his colleagues in government. And I'd say that right now, Leo, yeah, Eamon Ryan and uh, Michal Martin would would happily get a, an ice pick and do a Trotsky on him if they possibly could. But I don't think this is going to be the, the, ice, the, the ice pick. The problem there is that they're popular enough and... I was trying to see if I could find out how popular this is with the public, how much traction it's getting. Um, mm. And you, a lot of the media sources will tell you what their most reads are. Uh, RT, or sorry, Irish Times, not in the top ten. Right. At all. RTE, number two. Now, I've got to contextualise that, Michael, 
by saying that number one is the following story, and I'll just give you the headline. <clears throat> Three men rescued from tumble dryer in Essex. <laughs> Rescued. Essex County Fire and Rescue Service said in a statement they were called to a derelict laundry site in Bower Hill in Epping around 6.35pm when the three men, believed to be in their late teens, had decided to crawl into the industrial-sized dryer. The third encountered difficulties after his ankles became trapped in the door. They required a range of heavy equipment. I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to suggest that alcohol was involved in this. So, as I said, number two, but less interesting than three men being stuck in a dryer. So I'm not sure I would say it has... Um... It's not got massive traction, shall we say, so far with the public, no. It's not... It's not start, they're, not going, they're not going to take to the streets with their pitchforks and their, their branding, their firebrands demanding his head. No. Now, of course, all of the opposition are calling on him to come in and take questions in the doll and make a statement. And maybe he'll do that and maybe he'll fuck it up badly enough he hangs himself. Mm. But Yeah, but there has to be something hangable in it. I don't see that. I don't see the hanging events here. I, I think just... the only thing that they like the statement by Leo is I, I don't know if you saw the length of it, Michael. Yeah. But it was incredible. It was just page after page of denial. But the only thing in it I think they can hang him on is the part where he accepted it was improper. Which is why you never apologise. Yes. Because now you've said it's improper. Or you've sort of simply said, no, it's perfectly proper. He was the head of an alternative union. So and so I reached out to him directly because it was in the country's best interest to have the medical profession of one mind on this. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree with you. I think that, I, I, I think that saying it was, a, it was a good idea to fess up and say you did it. But you should what you're saying you did it and saying it was a wrong thing to do are separate. You should just brazen it out. Because then then it's up to them to prove that somehow somehow that you're wrong. And listen, on on the, 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 the act as you quoted it, you see there were the, all three elements of justification you, you could easily argue or would would be applicable to Leo in this case. So I think that uh, Yes, I did it, but so fucking what? Would it have been a reasonable response? Back on the, the law, when we were talking about this, three things about it. When it goes on, what does it mean for someone to be duly authorised? Now, it defines duly authorised as means authorised by a minister or state authority or by some person authorised in that behalf by a minister or state authority. It was Tishuk. So I, I think, on that basis, he can simply say, I can authorise the release of absolutely anything I want because I run the country he's the king so that's the advantage and this is the law they say he breached yeah so yeah. I don't know I don't know if if I was the village I don't know if I'd be the hap happiest kid standing on the on on the steps of the forecourt I think Leo m might own the village next year the thing is there might be stuff about the village or they may have further material Mm -hmm. Where they either don't care if they get sued, or they think if they get sued, they'll win by bringing it up, and it would be terribly embarrassing for everyone. Or they may literally be too stupid to realise what they've done. And so I don't think you should discount that possibility. 
No, that's always a possibility. We are humans. We, we all have that capacity. Yeah, I suppose the it could all be an elephant trap. I mean, there is their statement also did point out that um, Dr. Tootall, if uh, there could be a breach of the Corruption Act, if yeah. Dr. Tootall's actually they don't say doctor, they say mister, slavish subsequent champion of Mr. Varadkar in the media is deemed to be a yes. quid pro quo, quid. which yeah. would seem to me to be absolutely unshowable. Oh, that's weak. That's desperately weak. That they're going to say that his his apparent compliance afterwards was some in some way demonstrative of a, a quid pro quo, which would in return for no. I think that's that's as they say, weak piss. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to be back in my my the ownership of my magazine on on that one. Uh, I would hope that I would have something else in the bag to pull out at the last minute. Oh, uh, some kind of a deus ex machina that was going to sweep down and save me. But I, mean, I think they, if they had just said this is improper, mm. I think they that would have been fine. But I, if this had been an internal discussion in Gript about whether we should publish this based on the material that's shown, firstly I would have said no. But assuming it could all be verified mm. and we had something in the bank, Lawbreaker wouldn't have flowed. That wouldn't have got out of editorial. Yeah. Unless we were able to read through absolutely everything and say, he will definitely fail on this. You'd have to have him, as the English uh, would say, bang to rights. Absolutely. You'd have, you'd have to have him bang to rights on this because it's, you're, 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 you're calling the then Taoiseach, the now tarnished the country, uh, a lawbreaker. That's, that's, that's big books in the definition. I mean, I know there will be a higher standard. Uh, when it's dealing with him as a public figure and as a newspaper and political commentary and all that. So it's not quite the same as if you're dealing with a private citizen. Yeah, I I think that the difference there is courts will give media enterprises a lot of leeway in some regards if they can show they made every reasonable care. Yeah, they ha- and they have to show that they, they took every reasonable care and they were acting absolutely in good faith. And I imagine what will happen is that they try and make that claim the counterpoint will basically be made to them, well, 244. Duly authorised, he was fine. You read that, should have known it. But Gary... uh, I don't think that will go well. There must have been a lawyer in on this discussion. Well, there probably was, but this year, Michael, has been the greatest, I think, example we've ever seen that politics and tribalism in general makes people unbelievably stupid yeah yeah and blinds them to things that they absolutely should have seen coming this is true and this so is, yeah i probably so. imagine there was a lawyer involved there may have been barrister involved may have been several people involved that in no way means they came to the right decision on this although they may have they may have more than they've shown or they may be basically saying that leo won't uh, sue them i originally what i thought would happen is that leo would deny it and then O'Toole would sue them Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Lord Standard. Well, listen, I suppose all we can say on that is we wait to see with bated breath if something is produced with a flourish from the back pocket by the village, which makes Leo go white and go, oh, you have that, do you? I didn't know you had that. And that would be fun. But, well, until they can do that, I think this. At the moment, it's advantage, Leo. Seems to be. 
Soon he may be the only gay in the village. <laughs> that was a stretch, but I think I pulled it off. Or he might be the only gay with a village. Oh, there, oh, there we go. Anyway, I suppose the time has come to release the listener back into the wild. We shall return, all things being equal, on Wednesday. Now the winter has drawn in. And don't none of this nonsense about... Sick of this nonsense, importing foreign notions. Winter begins in Ireland on the 1st of November. And so winter has officially begun. We're on the downhill strokes <laughs> towards Christmas, like we'll notice. So uh, we will continue on our happy trails on Wednesday, all things being equal. But until then, I suppose, have a good Sunday and uh, enjoy the week and keep yourself safe from the dreaded sea. All the best.